Hey, and welcome to Not So Linear, a podcast that's here to help normalize conversation around grief and help you feel less alone in your own journey. I'm your host, Tamsin, and each week I'll be interviewing some amazingly strong people who share their own stories on how they've navigated life after loss. But don't worry, we'll talk plenty about finding happiness, what inspires us and helps us to grow. And whilst none of our journeys are so linear, what we do know is that it's better to get through it together. In today's episode, I speak with Steve Bland, who is a presenter of the multi-award winning BBC podcast, You, Me and the Big C. Steve lost his wife, Rachel, to breast cancer in 2018 and ever since has become a campaigner and broadcaster around cancer and grief. We chat about how life has been over the last two years, how his son, Freddie, has become his motivation and driving force and the importance of breaking the stigma of talking about taboo subjects such as death, and how having those conversations with Rachel throughout her terminal cancer journey helped prepare him and his family. Maybe you should give the listeners a bit of an introduction about yourself. So yeah, I'm a BBC, well, I was a BBC journalist going back a few years. I was a, a producer at a British radio station called uh, BBC Radio 5 Live. And uh, there I met a, a girl called Rachel, who was, um, at the time, she was a newsreader on BBC TV from time to time as well. She was actually on the BBC uh, World, you know, the, the news channel that goes all over the world uh, from time to time as well, and I ended up getting married to her. And then a couple of years later, after we'd had a little boy, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and she set up a podcast called You, Me and the Big C, which which over here in the UK is, became very quickly quite a big deal. You know, for the cancer community, it really gave people a voice, gave people the, you know, the feeling that they weren't alone. It kind of put cancer in the forefront of people's minds a lot more. It kind of changed the perception of how people thought of people with cancer because I think the you know, the reason for setting that up was because uh, Rachel and these other two girls, Deborah James and Lauren Marn, who who were kind of Instagrammers in the kind of cancer Instagram world, um, they uh, none of them kind of really saw themselves in in the way cancer was portrayed on telly or in adverts and in literature and that sort of thing. So the podcast kind of set about to address that. Unfortunately, uh, this was at the start of twenty. 18 uh, towards the end of 2018 Rachel um, unfortunately her cancer kind of took a turn and and she passed away in in September of 2018 and after that I I kind of carried on the podcast for her so I've joined the two girls on the pod and I I raise our little boy um, Freddie he's now five I I don't know what I do for a job I work in podcasting so it's a complicated one I do our podcast now, is, you know, still going as a BBC podcast you mean the big C like I said but I also you know work on, on a lot of other kind of podcasty projects for different people and and I talk about this sort of thing I talk about you know what it's like to lose someone so close to you and you know how you sort of come back from that yeah and I guess that's that's sort of what's led me to led me to you well I think what you do is fantastic and I love the fact that you continue Rachel's legacy through you me and the big C I was actually listening to one of the episodes the other day, um, particularly on skin cancer, because now I'm living in Australia. That's a big thing over here. Yeah. And I heard you say at the start of the podcast that when you were younger and you went to Europe on, you know, you're always in these holidays, aren't you? When you're younger, going to Menorca, Mallorca, things like that. Yeah. You only care about is getting a tan and just sunbathing and soaking up the sun that you don't get in Manchester. So true. Um, yeah, I worked in Menorca for a couple of years. It's an uh, island in the Balearics for those people who might be you're not familiar <laughs> with it. And it's, and it's, um, 
you know it's warm it's it's european warm it's not australian warm but it's you know it's hot enough and you know we just we just we just didn't take care and like you look back at it now and you think but it's like all cancer isn't it you know when you're a bit younger i don't know about you but for me anyway i i never really had experience of it until i was in my 20s and i think you know when i was in my late teens and maybe early 20s I, I, one of those things that happens to other people it's so cliche but it you know it really is one of those things that happens to other people until it happens to you and or somebody close to you and, yeah. and i think you always think you're invincible yeah you do and you think people around you they're invincible you think your parents are invincible you think you know you hear things happen to other people and, and it's easy to sort of bat it off and i was always very good at being you know the one giving the sympathy and when it you know, ended up being me getting it. I wasn't, I wasn't so good. So Rachel passed away in September, 2018. What would you say your journey has been like since then? I can only imagine it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Oh, crikey. Um, yeah, the funny one. I I mean, nothing like I imagined it would be. We knew that Rachel's cancer uh, was incurable for, you know, a number of months, five or six months before she died. And so I had time to, you know, to prepare um, as much as you can and you know get things in place like financial things and insurance and you know I definitely think that made it easier because I think you know anybody who supported somebody with cancer anybody in that position will tell you that you start sort of grieving to a degree the moment somebody's diagnosed and and I've talked about this to, uh, to a few people a good friend of mine is a, a guy called Simon Thomas who uh, his wife Gemma died of acute myeloid leukemia only two and a half three days after getting diagnosed we've often kind of talked about you know how you cope with those two different things because I you know Rachel was ill for nearly two years Gemma was ill for you know two or three days and uh, for me it gave it gave us the chance as much as you ever can uh, to get your head around it and uh, and I think you know when it came to you know, the point that she died I kind of knew what I had to do you know I knew I was, was going to take a little bit of time off off work I ended up taking uh, nearly two years off and you know, I knew that our little boy was going to be the priority and, you know, everything would you know, go into looking after him. And, and it's not been easy, but, you know, life goes on, doesn't it? And that's been the thing that I've, you know, focused on as much as possible is I'm only 40 years old. I was 38 when she died. 37, no, 38? Yeah, 38, <laughs> 38 when she died. And, you know, so I've got all being well. I've got an awful lot of years left in me and I was never going to be one of those people who, and I'm not criticising these people because, you know, everyone deals with grief differently. But some people kind of give up a little bit when they lose somebody. I was I was never going to be like that. And and I think it was you know, the way that I could I could do most justice to Rachel was to you know try and live my life to the fullest. You know, all of her dreams and her, you know, her hopes for Freddie and her things that she wanted to achieve to uh, to get to work on as well. Because, you know, uh, Rachel absolutely loved life and she loved our, our little boy. Yes. And, you know, kind of justice what I'd be doing to her if I packed up and... Yeah and uh, gave in now so yes yeah, so it's not been easy it's not been all plain sailing there's been plenty of ups and downs but I think I've I've really tried to focus on you know the fact that I'm the lucky one and I guess of course Freddie is your driving force to help you keep going yeah yeah he's fine <laughs> and, um he's just he's just fantastic he's he's a spitting image of his mum and, and he's just he's just a wonderful little boy and you know often I look at him and I just think he, you know, Rachel would be so proud of him if she could see him and you know, the little man he's becoming and, and the way he's dealt with everything that's gone on. And you know, it's not been the easiest of starts for him. You know, she um, she was diagnosed when he was only 14 months old. And wow, so, young. you know, everything that he can remember is either having an ill mum and a lot of tension and all, you know, everything that that brought with it or, you know, or she not being here. And, and that's, yeah. yeah, that's not the start you want for a little boy. So, you know, the way he's dealt with it has been incredible and 
and having him as the focus and I have to say I did love the Lorraine interview that he did where he then suddenly butts in and starts joining in it was absolutely uh, hilarious I knew that he would it's <laughs> live on tv yeah normally I try and I, if I'm doing telly or something I try and send him to my parents who just live around the corner or something like that and uh, but this yeah, this one it was too early in the morning at the show you're referring to Lorraine it's on quite early and so he was yeah sat on the sofa in his pajamas while I was at the other end of the room on there. yeah doing this kind of thing with your microphone and computer and and uh, he hadn't said anything the whole whole way through and then yeah just the last couple of minutes i thought it'd be quite funny to get him on on camera as well and- yeah but do you know what that proves what real life is like and now that everybody is working from home and i think he did that last april when it was the start of lockdown that's the reality that we now live in and people every day are having their kids coming in it's just unfortunate that you're on live tv but it actually made it so much funnier anyway it's fine i've been on, on that show a few times and lorraine always said <laughs> bring freddie on so quite funny that you come on the podcast well I don't, know would, I don't know we'd give you too much, too much sage advice he's he's amazing though what you, you know how he's handled it he's this is the thing with kids they don't you know, they can just accept things a lot more than we can and you know he gets upset sometimes I don't know I don't know how much he can really you know how much he remembers Rachel you know he was so young when she died he wasn't even three when she died he was only yeah about about two weeks short of his third birthday yeah, I don't really know how much you know he actually has as an actual memory rather than you know looking at pictures and stuff but yeah, you create memories thing. in your head sometimes. Yeah, he has he has this thing uh, that he does where he'll be a bit naughty sometimes, and I'll tell him off, and I'll be I'll be scolding him, and he'll be you know getting upset. And I said, "What's the matter?" And he said, "Well, I just I just really miss mummy," and it's just a way that he's worked out of getting out of getting out of trouble. You know, he knows, get, he knows it'll get a reaction. Yeah, well, that's going to upset you as well, isn't it? Oh, um, it's funny. <laughs> So Rachel wrote a book for Freddie, didn't she? Maybe you could tell us a bit about the book. So yeah, you know, the fact that he was so young was kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, Rachel knew that he'd be able to, you know, young kids are very good at accepting things, like I said. And I think, the, you know, Simon, for example, Simon, who we just talked about before, his um, his little boy, Ethan, I think was was eight or nine when uh, when Gemma died. And I think he had a lot of questions. It was, you know, very confusing for a child of that age. But Freddie being only two, you know, he didn't have any of those questions. It was easy. To, you know, I took him into our bedroom the morning after she died. She died in the middle of the night, and and he'd known that she'd been ill, and she wasn't there. And I just explained to uh, to him that she died, and he just, you know, he sort of took it and accepted it, and he ran off to play with his toys. Uh, but the flip side to that is that you know Rachel was always very aware that he wouldn't have his own memories. Uh, that's something that really upset her. And so I don't know what it was about seven months before she died. She thought she'd start writing down. You know, some stuff about her, just, you know, her personal stories and childhood memories and, you know, things she liked, things she didn't like, all the stuff that you tell your kids over the years, all the all the sort of memories and boring stories your parents tell you, you know, all that kind of stuff that she wanted him to know. He wrote down more and more and more. She kind of thought, you know, this would actually make an interesting book. And some friends of hers, you know, heard about uh, what she was doing and said, you know, I'd, I'd read that. And so, yeah, she started writing and and got a book agent and just you know, started writing more and more and more and more and more. Maybe the last four months, I'd say, of her life were, you know, were largely spent writing this book. She was, you know, just unbelievably focused on it. And, and it gave her a real focus, actually, when uh, maybe, you know, as her health kind of got worse. Uh, she just about finished it before she died. There was a, a couple of little bits I had to finish off. She just about finished it. And, um, and those bits not as good <laughs> a bit better well, I, I, I like to think that I highlight the book no no they're not um, you know, I wrote like the foreword and I wrote uh, we had to put a 
uh, she hadn't done a chapter on cancer. She actually said to me, you know, should I put, you know, the sort of cancer bit in? And I said, well, it's part of your story. And she said, well, if I die before I've written this, then you can finish that off because you, you know, you were there for it. That was always the plan that I'd finish that bit off. Uh, so we put yeah. that chapter together and then um, it became a book in the Feb, well, uh, January, February time after she died in the September. So, and it reached, I mean, did very well in the, in the bestsellers lists over here and, and, I mean, it was amazing to see you know, this thing that she'd poured so much effort into becoming something that people really enjoyed. And uh, what people have said, you know, anybody that knows Rachel who's um, who's read it, you know, you can hear her, you know, saying the words, it's all written in, you know, the way she explained things, the way she talked and, you know, full of her personality. Personal. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's all, all really personal, full of, you know, her personality and her, her spark and her and her joy and her zest for life. And and actually, you would have been forgiven if you're writing a book like that, you'd have been forgiven into to have a little bit of bitterness in there and that sort of thing. But there's nothing like that. You know, there's no sadness. There's no, there's a bit of regret towards the end because she writes, in the last chapter, she writes to Freddie and, and she's talking to him um, saying sorry that, she couldn't be with him growing up and it's pretty heartbreaking uh, but it's just it's such a joyful book and it's um you know I'm so lucky actually that uh, I've got that and and whenever I'm thinking about you know what to do with Freddie do I do this or do I do that you know big decisions that I might have over him I've got kind of a manual of what she might have wanted um, written down so it's been a real yeah real help and it was a real uh, labour of love actually it was you know just such a joy to work on and And it must feel so comforting to know you've got that so whenever you want to you know think of the memories or help Freddie to remember what she was like you have that there you can go and grab it off the shelf and read it to him which is such a nice thing to do that's a lovely thing and that's how we use it uh, more often than not we use it for Freddie really what would you say has benefited you as a coping mechanism throughout your grief journey so far? Apart from Freddie, of course, he is a major part of your driving force. But is there anything else that you've done that's helped you get through? I don't know if there's anything else I've done. I think, like I was saying before, it's just having that your determination that it's not going to be the end of things for you. I do think it is a choice. You know, some people like I say it's not a criticism of those people that you know for example wear their wedding ring for you know the rest of time or that kind of thing it's not a criticism of them because you know like I said everyone everyone deals with it the, uh, their own way but I I was just I was always very determined that you know my life after Rachel wasn't going to be a second class version of what it had been you know it wasn't going to be I wasn't going to settle for you know for it being okay or, or accept the fact that yeah, life wasn't going to be good again, or I wasn't going to laugh in the same way again. You know, I think once you once you have that kind of attitude, once you did you decide that's that's the way you're going to look at things, I think you get on better. And I think the other the other thing that I really tried to do is is I think the way that I thought I would be uh, when I thought about it before she died, I thought perhaps I'd be just I'd be lying in the corner crying for you know six weeks, you know, unable to function. The reality wasn't like that, and I, you know, the danger is that you you almost and think you have to be like that and then and then inevitably you will whereas I think if you just I've really tried to focus on just feeling and doing whatever I feel or do that day you know particularly in the early days you know we ended up uh, 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 the day after she died we ended up um and the uh, uh, the radio station that she worked for had loads of like tributes and loads of stuff all day uh, coverage and we sat in the garden and we listened to it all and we were laughing and crying and joking and it was it was the day after she died and and um i just hold on one second times in <laughs> okay. a little visitor come on 
one. What's up, Fred? Uh, okay, just hold on one second. Sorry about that. It's all right. Um, hold on, he's back again. Yeah, so I've really, I've really just um, tried to focus on on feeling however I was feeling that day, and not, you know, not overthink it because I think you can get into into trouble if you, you know, I've heard people say they felt guilty when they laughed or guilty when they kind of felt normal, and I've really tried not to do that because I think. You know, you're. She really wouldn't want you to be sad, would she? She'd want you to be happy. Deal with it. Everyone deals with it in their own way, and there's no, there's no right and wrong, and and you know, there's no rule book, and and all those cliches that you hear, and and you know, there's certainly no right way to grieve. I, I don't know about you, but I've, I was sent all those, all those kind of diagrams that tell you the different you know, stages of the grieving, uh, grieving process. Yeah. You know, you'll go, you'll go from sadness to anger to whatever and you know i did i do all i do all of those in you know in half an hour you know all the stages all all over the place in half an hour you know you go from one to the other you know after the next and you know there's no there's no order to it there's no routine to it there's you know i don't even really like to call it a process because I, I think a process to me has a beginning and an end you know right yeah grieving, you know grief is just part of life now you you know the moment that she died, it just became part of life, and you learn to put it in a little box and see it every so often. And but it's always going to be there, and yeah, just accepting that. It's like one month you could be absolutely fine, and then the next month it could be totally different, or it could be a year later. It really comes in different times and different ways as well. It's a funny thing in the early days, particularly you know, first sort of say year year after she died. You know, when you start crying, it becomes you know it's rarer and rarer that you cry. Uh, but, uh, but every time you do, it hits you, you know, harder, I found it, uh, because you feel more normal uh, more of the time. And when you do have those falls, you know, they're a bit further, if that makes sense. You know, you just it became a little bit harder because they were so um, infrequent. And I think that went on for quite a while. I don't really get it now so much. I I, I, I mean, you know, the occasional thing will trigger it off. Like it, um, we're recording this on Tuesday night over here and it would have been rachel's birthday on on thursday and uh, things like that you know can kind of uh, set you off a little bit but you know life is good now and that doesn't mean it wasn't then or it doesn't mean that doesn't mean that i I don't miss her every day because i do but my life now is looking forwards and and you know that's what i'm trying to focus my energy on and you focus so much energy on helping other people as well particularly through your podcast and your campaigns is there anything else that you're kind of looking forward to doing i know i saw deborah on the tv the other day yeah. quite disgusting what we saw to be honest yeah it, so the guy that she was on tv with was talking about the value of life and she's a, a stage four bowel cancer patient uh, for those of you who don't know and um, she's just an absolute inspiration and she was on a tv show called the big questions and yeah, this chap who used to be a judge over here, a very, very senior judge, he was talking about the value of life. His point was, you know, like health economics kind of point, you know, if you've got limited ventilators or limited beds or whatever in an intensive care unit, you might prioritise the people who don't have life-limiting conditions. And he told Deborah, <laughs> I told Deborah to her face that her life was less valuable. And he's, he's since you know, tried to qualify it a little bit, but it's created quite a debate 
Yeah, but she's amazing. She's she's just an absolute inspiration. And I think plan with the podcast is really just to carry on growing it. I mean, it's it was a real wish of Rachel that um, after she died that it would carry on. And, you know, as long as the BBC, you know, will allow us to do it, you know, we'll keep doing it because to all of us, it's a real, you know, real focus for us. And, and, and we know from the responses that we get every week, we know the impact it has and we know how much people rely on it. And, and it's been going now for yeah, about 75 episodes and, um, wow, yeah. and it's, and it's won a ton of awards and, you know, big national awards and it's never going to be the one with the most, you know, most listeners, but right up there for a podcast that has you know, the most impact on people because it really it's really helpful really content it, it just really matters doesn't and i think you know topics like cancer or grief they're so taboo and people in society are just not used to talking about it so creating a podcast like you have means it just becomes more normal and those who do feel isolated in their cancer journey get to listen to you guys opening up that topic that's exactly what it is and and she used to absolutely hate the fact that nobody would talk to her about death you know, she was dying and nobody would talk to her about it. People used to skirt around it and, and she was just adamant that we should talk about it. And that's probably, you know, a big part of the reason why I'm, you know, why I do talk about it so much because we used to have such frank conversations about her dying, planning her funeral and that kind of thing. It's such a cliche, isn't it? But we're not, you know, we're not getting out of here alive. It's going to, you know, the one certainty of life is death. And the more that we, we treat it like this taboo that we do, you know, the more afraid of it we are. And that's not to say that it's not, it's not terrible because it obviously is, but I think we need to get to a point where we're able to talk about it. And and I think yeah, that's a big, that's a big focus of the podcast is, um, you know, helping prepare people for those conversations. Just talking honestly, just making it, um, you know, we've had a, uh, there's a really good palliative care doctor over here called Catherine Mannix, who's written a book about dying and and we've had her on a couple of times and it's just you know her whole thing is that we put when someone's going to give birth we put birthing plans and you have visitors from all sorts of people you you know you plan this thing meticulously for weeks and weeks and weeks when it comes to death the other end of our life we don't talk about it Uh, my mother-in-law rachel's mother uh when rachel's dad died they'd never even even had a conversation about whether he wanted to be cremated or buried and they'd never in, I don't know, 50 odd years of marriage, they'd never talked about death, even when he was very ill with cancer himself. And I think, you know, we are getting better at it, but yeah, there's still a fair bit to go because for those people with cancer, for those people who are, you know, in Rachel's position, it's such a lonely place to not have people to talk about. Now we're in a position with groups like yours, with social media communities, where there's no need to feel like that because, you know, there's people you can reach out, there's people you can talk to, there's podcasters, there's all these amazing resources and community kind of groups that are such a different experience now going through grief or... You would never think there's so many Instagram accounts about grief, would you? Incredible. <laughs> so Things like that are a really you know, amazing resource for people that go about 20 years you wouldn't have had and i think all these things your group our podcast chip away at that idea of it being a taboo and and uh, we're certainly getting there and i think it's you know more and more and more people talk about it the less terrifying it has to be so before we wrap up is there anything else you'd like to give advice to the listeners or any points we haven't covered that you feel would be helpful for other people the one thing that i i think that i would do differently and i was so determined to be all right again after rachel died and for everything i've said about looking forward and being positive and all that kind of thing. Um, you still need to give yourself time. And I think that's the one the one bit of advice that I, I would give to people is that being positive and being upbeat and looking ahead doesn't mean um, you know, you're not allowed to have bad days. In the early days, you're going to have plenty of bad days. And it's about just accepting them, you know, letting them come, letting them, you know, letting them happen, you know, and just thinking about going to sleep that, that night and then the next day hopefully is a better one. 
And I think, you know, I was so determined to be all right again, in inverted commas, and get there as quickly as I possibly could that I think probably I didn't, I didn't grieve enough maybe. And, and it was a few months after that it kind of hit me a bit, bit harder than I thought it would. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the only thing that I would, you know, advice is difficult because everyone's grieving is different and everyone totally goes different. through an experience and everyone's relationship with the person they've lost was different. The way it happens is always different and conversations you have are different. And, you know, it's so difficult to kind of give any generic advice because it might not apply. But yeah, that's the one thing I would say, just don't be in such a rush to be all right again. And that doesn't mean you're not looking forward and you're not being positive and you're not determined to live a very full life and be happy again. You get through it. You don't get over it. You you know, you learn to live with it and you learn to you know, work out a way of living around, around your grief. Uh, but it does take time. Thank you so much for listening to the Not So Linear podcast. If you want to catch our next episode, make sure you subscribe on either iTunes or Spotify. And if you're based here in Sydney and you would love to attend our meetup groups, check out our Instagram and Facebook pages, which are detailed in the show notes below. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.